watching all these cold weather football games going, not us, though. <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> Wrong. It, it finally came. Winter finally came. Kate, hey, can't complain. January 15th? I can complain. You can complain when you get January 15th. Oh, yeah. Hate it all the time. I, I hate how it's just been dreary here. Oh, yeah, and gray every single day for gray. like 30 consecutive days. Even today, I was kind of stoked to throw my sunglasses on. Sure. Like, ooh, Trapping the cold air cold, in against yeah. your eyes. That's, yeah, let's do this. That's why you got to have plastics. Mm. Can't have the metals on Smart. a day like today. Oof, yes. yeah. Be peeling skin off those suckers <laughs> in no time. Uh, I loved, I hate the lack of sun, but today was the, it, I, I, that's what I have as a Canadian, like as a lifelong Canadian, is you step out in that and you go, January 15th, I, hey, hey, good deal, good deal. <laughs> I'll take it. We knew it was coming. I was going to get a winter without a freezing day. Yeah, yeah, true. So it's fine. Anyway, it was was cold outside, but it was red hot on the sports calendar this weekend. (laughs) The sports were burning up the television screen for me, a slug on the couch, basically all weekend long. I was plopping down at, it wasn't good. I looked at my step counter. Over the weekend. You know Why would you do that to yourself? You know, okay, I actually got to say this before I get into sports. If there's, I, I don't know what I have, push notifications on my health app. No. But it, it buzzed me in the middle of Sunday. You're not really moving these last couple of days, buddy. It's like, hey, are you dead? Or yeah, what's going on? I said to that, that's rude. Let me just have, I can't have a couple of days where I just rot on the couch and hey, watch you lazy sports. sack of trash. Yeah, get was, up and I, I, I thought it was offensive. I really did. I was like, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what's going on in my life. I don't tell you all my secrets. Actually, I do. And that's why I get the ads that I get. <laughs> Although it, it's, it's funny when you get ads that you haven't really been talking about that are sort of offensive. <laughs> it's like weight loss stuff. And you're like, Wait, <laughs> what? <laughs> why? That's, that doesn't seem fair. Um, okay, so I'm starting with the Leafs before we get to Brady Quinn. Uh, they sucked this weekend. That's pretty clear. They were pretty awful. They played the Colorado Avalanche, and again, you can go listen to us have some expanded thoughts on these two games. If you go subscribe to Leafs Talk right now, podcasts are up. Sammy and I broke them down right after the games. The one thing about after the games is that they can still be a little emotional, and that's part of the fun of the show. But what I like about being able to come in here, especially after two games on a weekend, is that I get to sit with something for a little while longer and then think about it in the morning as I'm coming in, think about it a little bit the night before. And here's where I'm at with the weekend. It was ugly. It was a no-show from the stars. And the coach now is being spoken about in... Uh, is he going to get fired terms, which is kind of a Toronto Maple Leaf special, right? Things start to go poorly for a stretch and everyone points the finger at Sheldon Keefe. And this is where I'm at with it. One, is it fair? Yeah, it is. It's fair. He's been here for a very long time. And if you look at what we saw this weekend with the Dallas Cowboys, it's a reminder of how much those two teams are very similar. Cowboys have had three straight seasons where they've won 12 games. And what have they done in the playoffs? Diddly. They don't win in the playoffs. And what happens every year with the Cowboys, right? You watch them perform the regular season. They have kind of the similar ups and downs that they've had the same three years. And people go, ah, this reminds me of the same Cowboys, actually. What did I say earlier? Same but different. Same but different. And that's the Leafs, again, this regular season. They've put together more consistent winning percentages through regular seasons. They've had 
less pressure behind them in other regular seasons. But this is feeling pretty damn familiar. And, and I think a lot of us would acknowledge that. So if the Leafs continue to struggle and they decide to part ways with their head coach, I don't think that it'll be something that is undeserved or unfair or that Toronto is firing one of the greatest. What, what did Kyle Dubas once say about him at a podium that he was going to be the next Scotty Bowman? I'm not sure that he will be, okay? I think that he is a good coach. I think that he pays a lot of attention to details, but maybe the message has worn thin with the group. I think that it is a little troubling that they still have failed to have halfway through the season, a meaningful defensive structure with this team, that they still can't close games properly, that it just feels, again, so familiar to years past. But what I think the issue is for people like me is that the... This is going to sound dumb, but hockey isn't football, right? I don't think that the coaches matter as much. I don't. You're looking at Edmonton. All of a sudden, they've turned it on. I think that most of the turnaround in Edmonton has to do with the fact that their star is Connor McDavid, and he holds their team to a different standard, and that eventually, throughout his play, it was going to start to resonate with the rest of the group, and they were going to turn the season around, that they were going to play with desperation because they got behind the eight ball. That's why I think that they turned their year around, not because they fired their coach. And that's how I feel about Toronto is, okay, you're going to fire the coach and people want to bring in Craig Berube because he's tough and he's mean. I go, okay, that's cool. Do you really think that the guys that are all making 13% of the cap are going to start to really change because there's a new head coach here, that there's a new voice here? If you think that there's going to be a meaningful impact on the strategy, then fine. But as of right now, I've just... I've seen this same thing from the star players, the ebbs and flows of this team over and over again, and the way that their attitude settles in with the rest of the team. And that's why I'm just, I'm not, I'm not really buying that the cure-all is the, the coaching firing. I think it's a lovely distraction for some people. I think that it, it feeds into that same sort of culture where it's never the accountability of the star players. It's always something else's fault. It's the depth's fault. It's the general manager's fault. It's a coach's fault. Fine, fine, fine. Uh, it's the same thing over and over again. They are going to go as far as those star players take them. And the rest of the team is going to take on the attitude that those guys have. And until that changes, I think you're going to see a lot of the same anyways. Um, yeah. The, the Leafs NFL counterpart, the Dallas Cowboys, they did their thing. They did their very leafy thing which was have a great regular season, have us go up and down, have us throw one of their players in the MVP conversation, right? Dak Prescott, oh, is he under, CeeDee Lamb, is he underrated? Then they show up to the playoffs and it's boom. Same old Cowboys. Brady Quinn, Monday Morning Insider, former NFL QB. What's up, brother? How we doing? Uh, I'm doing okay. I mean, kind of happy in some ways for the result of the, of the Detroit Lions last night. Oh, yeah. Um, but in other ways, Part of me kind of wanted to see Dallas finally make a run, too. You know, like, I, I know they're America's team, and there's all the hype all the time. Like, part of part of me wanted to see it for Dak. He's a good dude, and I just wanted to see them kind of get the, the monkey off his back in a way. And Jerry Jones, maybe, I, I don't know. I don't know how much more time he's got. But part of me wanted to see Dallas kind of do it, too, along with Detroit, even though I think Detroit is a much more easier team to root for based on their fan base and how much they've suffered over the course of the last three decades. I haven't been happier for a fan base that I'm not a direct, like a part of. I was joking all year how they were my lions, my lions, and I really was rooting for them. But seeing their fans cry in the stadium, that hit me. 
that really, I, I cheer for a lot of losers, okay? I got a lot of loser teams under my belt. And seeing those fans who had been, what they had, the one season ticket holder, I can't even remember, the, they flashed him with the celebrities. They're like, here's Eminem, and then here's a guy yeah. who just has had seasons tickets with this team for uh, three decades. And I went, wow. That's more impressive than Eminem. It's more impressive to be this guy who maintained with this team and kept buying those season tickets and showing up year after year after year, only to never see it. I, I loved it for the Lions. I, I, I said to the guys this morning going to the show, I hate that we can't play swears on this because Dan Campbell in the dressing room after saying, Jared Goff, you're good enough for bleeping Detroit gave me chills to the point where I was like, maybe I am just a Lions fan now. Maybe I don't care about yeah. anything other than the Detroit Lions. You, you've been Dan Campbell. That's oh, what dude. Like, I, you, it you, works. It, it does. And like, that's that, okay. It works. And that's why you can see that locker room, that organization is able to follow behind the leadership of a guy that in his opening press conference had a lot of sound bites that people made fun of him for, right? Mm -hmm. Comes off as this kind of like meathead guy, right? Big time. And, and the reality I did too. is... I hand up. I had a tweet. I had a tweet and somebody like some... You know how there's those crazy fans that'll just go try to find stuff when things turn? Somebody got me in one of those with Dan Campbell where I made fun... I said something like, this will work out well because he had the whole, we're going to gouge eyes out or kick you out in the knees or something. Bite your kneecaps. Bite your kneecaps. Yeah, that was it. And I made fun of that. So hand up. I, I wasn't a day oneer. Yeah, but you know what's so unique about it is in a, a day and time in college football and, and NFL where it feels like we're bubble wrapping everyone. Mm -hmm. Like he has brought this sense of physicality, toughness, grit is how they would describe it best to an a, a era in, I guess, the NFL, you'd say, where like not many teams play with it. Mm -hmm. They do. And I think the other thing about it is if you look at from start to finish how they went about you know, executing and scheming up the Rams in that game, like they put it all out there. It was the exact opposite of what you saw from Dallas, where Dallas felt so tight. And it's like with every throw in the first half for Dak, it just it felt like there was such a weight on his shoulders and even defensively, just how they ended up, you know, going around just giving up big play after big play. It, mm -hmm. it felt like they had the weight of the world on them in Detroit it felt like they had something to prove and out the gate when, when uh golf ripped that like deep uh, in route to Reynolds, you're like, Oh, they're, they're not going to try to like set the tone, play conservative. Like see how this thing plays itself out. They are going to go time and time again, take chunks, take shots, put, put this on Goff's shoulders, still run the football and schematically how they attack the, the right side. Uh, or I guess you'd say the left side of the defense of the Rams with the right side, in particular that offensive line leaned on that in the running game. Like, all those things were very apparent. And even in the end, when, when they, they, you know, some people call it risky sitting there throwing under two minutes like that, but to seal the game, they do it. And they go to a guy who got snubbed for the Pro Bowl somehow, but it's an all-pro selection, and I'm St. Brown. And it is, mm -hmm. it's moments like that when you go, that game was there for them to take, and they went out and took it. And, and it's the exact opposite of how Dallas looked yesterday. Timid, almost like, here we go again, a great regular season, but let's just roll out the football and lay an egg in the postseason, And that's the difference in a leader like Dan Campbell is, is he has that sort of potential and ability to rally a locker room, rally an organization, rally a damn city, if you will, to allow them to get to the point where they're going to be hosting another playoff game next week. And, that's going to be so much fun to watch. If you thought this was big, mm -hmm. next week's only going to get bigger. Well, and their crowd deserves credit too, right? Because why did the Rams have one timeout at the end of that game? 
the yeah. crowd. You it was felt, that, I think we've, we've entered an era where home field, home court, home ice advantage doesn't mean what it used to, right? Like, you would agree with that? We, we, it's, it's, it's bore out through everything. You even look at gambling prices. It used oh, to just be... I mean, let, let's, let's be real. Yeah. We priced out all, all the real fans. Yeah. We priced them out. Like, we, we wanted to put in more luxury boxes. Yeah. We wanted to charge more dollars per ticket. And we priced out the type of people that are going to cheer from start to end of a game. That, that's just the truth and the reality of it. Not there. <laughs> Not there. That, that stadium had real fans all the way through. It was loud in there. You could feel the emotion in there. And you're right. They, they rose to the occasion. Maybe because they had been so used to getting hyped by Dan Campbell all season long, they felt like, oh, yeah, we, there, there's no gassing us up that's going to go to our heads because our coach has already done that. We feel like we're going to maintain level in this moment. I came away thinking a couple things because I, I do want to move to the Cowboys, and I, I completely agree with you. I think that they flinched. I think that they choked. Uh, however you want to break it down, the Lions didn't. They didn't bat an eye. They did only score, what, three points in the second half? But that was a lot of yeah. clock killing. I think they only had three drives. I love that Campbell went, had the big throw. They designed that play. Amon St. Brown called it their bread and butter play at the end of the game. But I thought two things with the Lions. One is, okay, the offensive line is brilliant for them. They're just maulers. And you do feel like even if there's one thing that the Niners still have to prove that they can do is defend a team that can really gash them with the run. I don't love the secondary, obviously. They got chewed up. Stafford was brilliant in that game. But I, I, this is my Lions question. Is it not, is there not some urgency with this group to win this year? I, I know that the bar was just, hey, win a playoff game. But now I'm thinking both your coordinators are going to interview for jobs. And I feel like there's a strong possibility both your coordinators get hired. And the game plans by both, pretty solid, pretty brilliant, pretty like, I don't want to draw the parallel to the Eagles fully here, but Sirianni is very much a raw, raw coach and he loses his two coordinators this year and the Eagles kind of fall apart. And I just, I wonder from your perspective, if you kind of feel like, Hey, lions, awesome moment. But now the reality is sunk in. You're in the second round. You've got another home playoff game. Go, go try and win this thing. Don't be satisfied with the one win. Yeah, I mean, look, they're not going to be satisfied with anything. I mean, that's not how Dan Campbell operates, and that's not how anyone, I think, as hungry and starving as this fan base has been and this organization has been is thinking in, in Detroit right now. So I can promise you that. They're, they're not going to be the type that doesn't go for it, that doesn't do exactly what they did in the wild card round and, and lay it all out there. The point you bring up, though, about losing coordinators is, is real. And I think Ben Johnson has been probably under the radar one of the best offensive minds since he came to Detroit, since he was paired up with Jared Goff. And really took over play calling duties. And, and so that's a huge concern. You know, do you have that same sort of creativity? Do you have the same sort of ability uh, to, to really, you know, scheme things up the way he has? I mean, Mark Brunel's on that staff, former player, uh, obviously has a lot of experience too. But do you elevate him? Do you look outside the box? I mean, you look at Houston, for example, and Bobby Slowick, you know, for the uh, Houston Texans. The job that he did too in their wildcard game, scheme up the Cleveland Browns. And I know that team struggled defensively all year, all year long on the road, but all those hot offensive coordinators are going to be leapfrog into the front of the line, uh, especially with their wild card performances as far as a top candidate. Because you have probably a young quarterback wherever you are, wherever you have a head coach vacancy, that needs to be developed. And, and you know, these guys are going to get offered a boatload of money. It's going to be too hard to turn down. So how do you overcome that? I think Dan Campbell will find a way of finding the right person that fits what he's looking for. I mean, if you look at what him and Brad Holmes, their general manager, have done, that's what they've done the entire time, drafting, free agency, trade, bringing in players. Like, they find guys 
who fit the criteria of what they're looking for. And, and they even in the draft this year, like taking Jameer Gibbs, you're going, all right, it's kind of odd. You know, that high for a running back, he's a special talent, okay. You know, you take a linebacker, too, and a throwback in Jack Campbell. I mean, there's a number of guys you can point to and go, oh, that was kind of odd. But yet all these, a lot of the guys they have taken have, have played an impact so far and probably will continue to develop and play an impact down the road. And so they're kind of doing it their way. So I trust in his vision moving forward. I, I do think the loss of Ben Johnson would be enormous. Aaron Glenn's done a good job this year. However, second half of the year, the, the secondary struggle, and I know injuries played an issue. Uh, I'm not sure he's going to be one of the top defensive-minded candidates, right? I mean, he's even no, He's not going to be top three. Cowboys. No, and Raheem Morris will be up there. Yeah. Uh, obviously, he's available now with the loss. Dan Quinn, he's available with the loss, even mm. despite the terrible you know, game, he'll be a part of that. Man, There's I'm a, a Seahawks fan. If they, if they hire Dan Quinn after that, I, I really, I think I'm lions. I, I, I think I'll be the first time in my life. I, I think I'll bail on a team. Like I, I can't do that. There's no way that was too Look, bad. It's, it's my thing is coaches. A lot of times take, you know, a lot of the brunt or blame mm-hmm. for like what it's for some of those blown coverages. I mean, it, it's it's not like I mean maybe there's a degree of like hey we didn't go through that play or that exact designer model but there's a lot of times you get blown assignments where the players just aren't executing mm-hmm. and this is one of those rare instances where I'm gonna say like you can't put that all on Dan Quinn some of those guys run sure. wide ass open it's it's not a matter of like hey what did they not do or what did they like, these guys just aren't out there executing there I was agree. a point in time where it looked like it looked like the Cowboys almost kind of gave up a little bit. I know the offense was coming back. Uh, it, it, kind of? <laughs> they 100% I mean, well, and, and, that, and, that's, and that's what I'm saying. is That, to me, is a more Mike McCarthy issue mm. than I think it is a Dan Quinn issue than anything else. See, I, I think they totally gave up in that game. And I actually – I know that CeeDee Lamb was being, you know, double and triple covered some moments that game. But I, I swear that early on – Man, I think in that game, he knows his team and he knows Dak Prescott. He knows his quarterback – and you saw flustered Dak show up, like that first drive, they go down, they punch one in, Cowboys get their chance, nothing. All of a sudden, it's 14 nothing. And I think from that moment on, C.D. Lamb looked at his quarterback, saw his eyes, and saw what I saw on the TV, which was, um, I'm, not, I'm not that guy. I'm not doing this. I'm not going to be able to pull us out of this rut. And I think the team knew all around that they didn't have the coach and they didn't have the quarterback for it. And I think that you have to replace the one. Clearly, McCarthy is going to be gone, and we can get into that in a second. But I'm, I'm worried about the, the Dak part of this in terms of whether – like, he's always going to have strong regular season success. I feel like he's going to do this year after year after year. They've got to figure out what his extension is going to look like. But, man, how many times do you need to see that in the playoffs where you go, mm, you know, maybe some, maybe somebody new. Maybe it's time to just pull the Band-Aid off quick because this, it just ain't happening here. There's three phases of quarterbacks um, that they go through in the league. You go from, all right, rookie contract, do you get a second contract? Okay, mm-hmm. if you get a second contract, what does that look like? A lot of times it's going to be a franchise guy. He's going to be extended. In some cases, not. Maybe Jordan Love sort of deal. We're now a year you know, into it. You're saying, okay, now we need to extend him the way he's grown, the way he's played, right? So there's all, there's all those conversations that will be had. And then once you get that second contract, the next thing is ceiling. Like, have we reached the ceiling? And I think that's the question that Dallas has to answer now with Dak Prescott. You know, they got to the point where they've seen he, he's been as good as he's going to be. He's as, as far as he's going to take them on his own unless you just build up this team to be a bunch of monsters around him, which is really, really hard to do when he's already on that second contract and looking at a third contract, right? So, so that's where Dallas is at. And I don't know that they're going to make a decision on that before they have to make a decision on their head coach, Mike McCarthy. 
and, and maybe those two things are correlated and they work together. But the reality is in a year where you brought Mike McCarthy in to get you to a Super Bowl, like that, that's bottom line. Like that's why you hired him. He had the pedigree. He won a Super Bowl. That's why you brought him in. And they've done, in essence, I mean, a little better than obviously than, than what they were prior to Mike McCarthy getting there as far as the success in the regular season. But the truth is, is it hasn't changed the postseason. And so that decision is going to be made probably here in the next 48, 72 hours. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, to your point, <clears throat> there's probably a greater likelihood they move on because of the candidates that are available. You know, when you have a Bill Belichick out there and there's a thought like, hey, Jerry Jones isn't going to be around here anymore. Mm-hmm. And if the expectation coming right in the door is that this is Bill Belichick's team, like you've got this small window, Bill, this is what we're going to do, do to try to win it. Maybe that's something that would be enticing to Bill Belichick. And I, and I know as last night's game got out of hand, like people started talking about that on social media. My only reservation to the thought or idea of Bill Belichick being the Dallas Cowboys head coach is, is Jerry Jones and Steven Jones going to be the stay out of the way? Because the Patriot way in Bill Belichick's way is not the Dallas Cowboys way. You know, he didn't have to deal with Robert Kraft always creating drama and issues or even before the playoffs, Robert Kraft being like, well, we'll see how this game goes as far as security of Bill Belichick. Like that's the ownership that you're dealing with in Dallas. And that's, that, that's not Bill Belichick's style. So I'll be curious to see what transpires because clearly he's, he's the guy that, I, again, everyone should interview. Everyone should pick the brain of Bill Belichick. But he's also got to make a decision, which would be his final, you know, final run here in the NFL, and where he'd ultimately pass Don Shula's all-time wins uh, to set the record in the NFL, it, where he wants to do it. I mean, is that the best place for him to do it, or will Atlanta be a better place where you've got an owner – who's probably not going to meddle. He's going to stay out of it and let you do everything you want to do and also has a roster that's kind of built in, a, in what's been a, a pretty weak NFC South. I think Belichick has to do it in Dallas. I think that there's never been a more perfect time. I made the case. I had, you know, Chris Berman on the, the show. The NFL needs, needs them to do it. Yeah. Like, I, it would I agree. be more entertaining to see how it would, how it would work out. I'm not sure it's the best fit for him just from the standpoint of how the Dallas Cowboys run their operations. That's, that's a really, really great point. Jerry Jones is. That's, that's a really great point. But also it's kind of the one I, I feel like when they're doing the whole pick out the groceries thing with Belichick and trying to find players for them, a lot of it's already set. I don't think that Bill Belichick, if you're bringing him in there, you're, you are changing too much. You are absolutely running it back with Dak Prescott. You're not letting him pick the other pass catcher that they need. That's pretty clear. You're saying like, Hey, leave that one, leave that one to Jerry. You know, leave that one to Jerry. Let him find one more receiver for Dak Prescott because they clearly need another guy. Maybe, you know, you let Belichick help out with some more of the players on the defense. That's great. That's fine. Whatever. But what but I love about it. Here's what you're underscoring. Yeah. Here's what you're underscoring is, is when it comes down to it and you're not getting the results because you're going to go through your ebbs and flows of the course of an NFL season. Mm-hmm. Who takes the blame? Because when it's one person making all those decisions, who's the head coach and general manager has power over the roster. Mm-hmm. There's no finger pointing. It's, it's all you can point up if you want, but he's ultimately the guy that is making the decisions. He has the rationale and justification for it. And so that's the first thing, because when you start talking about like, well, yeah, he's not going to have personnel. Okay. What happens when the personnel is not playing up to their ability? Well, what happens then? Is Jerry going to take responsibility for it? He never has. Did he ever take responsibility for the Zeke Elliott contract? I mean, has he taken Maybe they could have used Zeke though. That's, I, they they could have used Zeke this year when the, there was all the, Every single person I know was taking Pollard second overall in their fantasy drafts. I was like, oh, yeah, just couldn't punch in a, a touchdown basically all season long. The, but this is why I actually love Belichick for them is I feel like 
This is the, the concession Jerry needs to make, is he needs to go, hey, my Cowboys way, it hasn't really worked out. And I can play good cop, and you can play bad cop. And you come in here, good and luck. you... I, maybe, good, yeah, good hey, luck listen. with doing that to Jerry Jones. I, this day. Yeah, because people, as they get older, get a lot more flexible <laughs> and a lot more open to That's change. true, that's yeah. true. I know yeah. I, I am. How, how yeah. many grandparents out there do you know that are just like, they're not stuck in the way? Yeah, they're, no, they're really open to change. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. I'm just saying. I love the idea of, I think that one of the biggest problems for the Cowboys is that culture. And we deal with it here, and I feel very familiar with it, again, with the Toronto Maple Leafs, is that it's, you get hyped up, you get praised for everything, you love no matter what, you get tons of media attention. We call it here blue and white disease. And I think that the Cowboys have the exact same thing. Bring in a coach who actually is above the players, who people have to revere as much as they revere the owner with Jerry Jones. Like you just need to make Jerry Jones. You're missing it though. I'm just saying. No one's above Jerry Jones. He's always going to, while he's alive and while he runs this team the way he wants to, he's always going to be the identity. Mm. Like that's the truth. And like the Patriot way was as much as people want to say it was Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. It was about sacrifice. It was about selflessness. It wasn't about putting yourself out there in front of the rest of the team. It was like doing your job for your teammate, for the guy next to you. And, and that's, you can try to create that culture, but if your owner doesn't want to allow you to create that environment, that culture, it's not going to work. And, and when you look at the construct of, of an entire locker room, mm-hmm. you know, it takes time to get a roster in a locker room to that point. Sometimes you have to get, get rid of some of the personnel that you've got in there because they're not those sorts of players. And that's just the truth and the reality of it. And so that, again, goes back to the decision of, if Bill Belichick did take this job, like how would he handle the personnel decisions? You know, would he, would he be able to deal with Steven Jones and Jerry Jones telling him who's staying, who's going, how much they're paying, how much they're not. And he's sitting there back of his mind going, this is a waste of money. This guy doesn't fit. This guy's not like there. There's all those things that could be going on behind the closed doors. And mm-hmm. it's just, it ends up being a disaster. Like that's the last thing you want. I think if you're the Dallas Cowboys, but again, oh, I think NFL, it's the last thing you want. If you're Bill exactly, Belichick, not the other way around. I, I don't know that either would want it though. Like Mike McCarthy came in there, right, and he stayed over at Jerry Jones, you know, house or whatever, his, his big casa, and mm-hmm. and then then the deal signed. It's like, but yeah, at that point, he's just doing pretty much what Jerry Jones wants him to do. Like he's not going to bite the hand that feeds him. Bill Belichick doesn't strike me as the type that's going to like deal with Jerry Jones in that way. Mm. I just I would want to bring in a guy who, again, since he entered the NFL, points per drive, his defense number one. That's like a 20-year span with Belichick. Those defensive players, like Michael Parsons, was gone in that football game. Like again, I don't. I think maybe he pressured Jordan Love once. I, he only got beat up. No, they bring Diggs back, but they've got talent on the defense. And whether that fits what Bill Belichick wants to do, I don't know. But I, I would just want to have his mind dropped in on that defensive personnel. Give me Bill Belichick with Micah Parsons for a couple of years. Give me Bill Belichick. Hopefully, again, I, you're probably right with the Jerry Jones thing. You know better than I do. But Jerry Jones is 81 years old. And I got to figure that, you're okay, people don't change as they get older. They don't get more flexible as they get older. But maybe they get a little bit more desperate when they get older, right? All of a sudden, you get someone who wasn't religious their entire life, and they start to see getting close to the Grim Reaper, and they go, you know what? Maybe I'm a little bit more religious. A lot more people find religion later. And I feel like he needs to go to the church of Bill Belichick and he needs to go, you know what? My, the Jerry way is not really working. 
You tell me what you need, and I'll facilitate it. I'll play the good cop. I'll be the guy that faces all the cameras because you don't ever want to give a quote. You don't want to talk about anything. Let's be best buddies. You come here. You get the wins record. You stick it. I know Bill Belichick wants to stick it to Robert Kraft. They, they stood up there at that podium being all buddy-buddy, but every article now has come out that their relationship frayed after the Tom Brady situation. Everybody thinks Bill Belichick can't do it anymore. He gets to go to a place now where if he gets that wins record, it's like... They'll make such. They'll turn it in their own thing. Bill Belichick goes from being yeah. a Patriot to a Cowboy. He wins a Super Bowl there. It's like one Super Bowl with Dallas is going to be worth six in in New England. Sorry, but it's true. That's not going to be a Tampa Bay no, Super I, Bowl. I, That's a Dallas Super I, Bowl. I, I, I don't. I don't doubt anything that you're saying. Yeah. Like he'll go into the Ring of Honor faster than Jimmy Johnson. He'll go up. Right? He'll go up literally after five wins. <laughs> he'll be five yeah. wins, and they'll be chiseling the a spot. The problem is, is like you're you're harping on the defense. Yeah, because you're looking in the small window of what took place. I go back to yesterday's game and go, if the offense just responded, mm-hmm. I don't think that Green Bay just rolls them the way they did. I like, agree. That became an avalanche, and that's where if you look at the most stable piece of the past two years of this Dallas Cowboys team, it's not their offense; it's been their defense. So I'm not looking at it thinking like, oh, Bill Belichick's going to come in and help change the defense. The defense has been good. The defense was good in New England. It wasn't the problem with Bill Belichick is he's had an offensive problem since Tom Brady left and Dak Prescott is not Tom Brady. So the truth of the matter is, even if he does go there in order for them to win a Super Bowl, it comes down to if he can make Dak into the quarterback that he needs to be in order to win a Super Bowl. And so it goes back to that question of, and if you're concerned about, you know, his ability as far as a head coach and personnel and roster, and you talk about a wide receiver position, what about quarterback? I mean, after Tom Brady, which, you know, you could make the case whether that it was a great selection. Look, they lucked into it. That's the truth. They passed on him in the sixth round. They passed on him before the entire draft up until that point in the sixth round. They take him, and he turns in to be the greatest quarterback of all time. Now, obviously, he played a role in his development and everything else to help him be successful. But the truth as far as selecting him late in the sixth round, like, that's, that's not like precision. That's not all we found. It's luck. There's he knew to keep him in, though, instead of going back to Bledsoe. And that's what I'm talking about development and coaching decision once you get them there. Mm. But when you're, when you're taking that hat off and just talking about a general manager, personnel decisions, I, I think in, for the most part, he's struggled, especially of late. And especially considering, you know, looking at some of the offensive pieces, even selecting a quarterback to be the successor to, I mean, at some point they need to look at what green Bay is doing. Cause clearly green Bay knows what they're doing as far as selecting and mm-hmm. developing quarterbacks and how it's worked out for them. Because it hasn't worked out for Bill Belichick so much. And that's where I think, again, going back to it, even if he joined the Dallas Cowboys, it's, is Dak the guy? Can they get the most out of Dak to help them win a Super Bowl? And if not, is he able to actually find that guy and, and do what he was able to do with Tom Brady and find the next Tom Brady? Because, again, that's a unicorn. Like, that's, that's luck. That stuff doesn't come around and happen all the time. And, it, and obviously, again, they had all this success, but they were very fortunate and lucky to find their way to Tom Brady and the rest is history. So let's move to the other games then, because let's talk quarterbacks. Because yeah, I think you give Dak one more year. I would still be lean. I think if you got a chance to hire the best coach of all time and you're Dallas and someone who can help change your culture, I think you do it. But I, I think the points are well made. Here's the quarterback takes from the weekend. One is I'm right about love over Trevor Lawrence. Like there's no way anymore. It's done. Like there's no, I've never seen Trevor Lawrence play like that. But I think this is the this is my QB rankings. You tell me where I'm wrong. I got Mahomes one, Allen two, Lamar three, 
CJ four, Stafford five, Love six. As far as this year, I mean, obviously, right now, those are the best six quarterbacks in the NFL. Yeah, Joe Burrow was hurt this year, but like right now, the healthy guys, that's who I think those are the top six. Yeah, I mean, I I think that's pretty fair to say. I mean, look, I I said this yesterday when I was working, like CJ Stroud to me, had he stayed healthy, is probably part of the MVP conversation. Mm -hmm. Like, I'd put put him up versus anyone right now, the way he's playing. Um, Jordan Love has obviously come on the second half of the season. There's still that first half where you're like, all right, Mm -hmm. he's going through some of the growing pains and getting settled in. You know, now he's been phenomenal. So it, there's no doubt, like, C.J. Stroud and, and you say Jordan Love are probably, and next to Josh Allen, are, are playing as good as anyone right now. And that even includes Patrick Mahomes, you know, so far in the playoffs. So, mm-hmm. you know, we'll see what Josh Allen has in store today. But it's, it's been remarkable to see the development of, of Jordan Love. And this is a case study, too, by the way, for quarterbacks who have sat, who've learned and played, and how it's worked out for them long term. You know, as far as getting an extension, becoming yep. a franchise guy. That's that that that's usually worked, but we have no patience anymore. So, you know, we we have to look at a guy like C.J. Stroud and go, "Yep, all right, greatest rookie season we've ever seen." Um, he's on on pace to be probably one of the best quarterbacks in the league, win a Super Bowl, all that good stuff. If, if they continue to keep building the way they are right now in Houston, um, but but I am still curious to see like guys like Bryce Young, guys like Trevor Lawrence. I mean, I, I've heard rumors there's a shot that maybe Doug Peterson's not so safe there in Jacksonville. And be. maybe they would look at bringing someone else in because they don't feel like they're getting enough out of that group on mm-hmm. that side of the ball. And maybe there's something to that. But uh, I would say that that's a fair ranking for uh, how all these quarterbacks have played so far this season, especially the second half of the season. Well, what's crazy, though, is like both guys, and we'll start with CJ. Um, he carved that Browns defense. And I know people now are doing the whole home and away splits with Cleveland's defense, but they were supposed to be the most formidable unit in the NFL. Like they have by pro football focuses rankings, the number one pass rush and credit to Laramie Tunsil, who completely shut down miles Garrett. Don't know if miles Garrett played to have, have no idea still right now, but it was a lot of Jim Schwartz buzz and how ooh, he could end up being a coaching candidate. And he just shredded them like play after play, after play ball, after ball, after ball. I, I like I said, I already think that he's a top five quarterback in the NFL. You just said that you think he's an MVP candidate. What do you think we missed with CJ? Because yeah, none of, nobody felt, even somebody who was like high on him, which I think I was coming out of college, I don't think anybody saw this coming. So so what is it about him that you think has made him so special so quick in the NFL? Well, he's the number two overall pick. I don't know that anyone missed on him. No, yeah, they didn't I, I miss on him the in the sense of like, hey, uh, but the fact is, is a lot of people thought that when he was going to be coming in the NFL, that it was like, mm, maybe not, maybe. I, I know he was Ohio State, so that was kind of an easy line to draw for a lot of people of, Hey, this is busted out before. Yeah. Second overall pick, but I, I don't remember anyone thinking, Hey, this guy's going to be one of the faces of the league. Well, I think part of it is, is when you, in the Ohio state thing, you have to break down what it is, right? You have a great play caller um, in Ryan day. You have NFL caliber talent, a wide receiver. So, you know, what, what people try to do who analyze a lot of that stuff go, mm-hmm. well, you know, look how wide open this guy is, or, you know, oh, yeah, they've got a bunch of stats, but you know, they couldn't be Michigan and all you know, they, they try to make arguments around draft time for why you shouldn't take a guy based on what you're seeing on film. And every time I watched him, I was just like, well, the dude's got incredible accuracy. He always is going to the right spot with the football. He's a good decision maker. He takes care of the football. Um, and so I, I don't care if the guy's running with five yards of cushion on a DB. I, I know that throw is going to be different in the NFL, 
but he's going to the right spot with the football. He hits that guy in stride, by the way. So it doesn't matter if the DB's five yards away from him or right on his back, he's still going to be there. Um, the one thing that you kind of looked at and said, okay, but can you play from the pocket the way he did at Ohio State? Because he didn't show a lot of you know, ability to be mobile and, and move the pocket. And then came the Georgia game. And then you watch the Georgia game, you're like, oh, wow. Like, this dude, when he does that, he's special, special. And, and so then it became more of like, well, why did he do this his entire career at Ohio State? And, and I know his first year starting, and this isn't like an opinion or anything. It's just like what I know. Mm-hmm. They were so concerned about the backup situation behind him. They did not want him to run. They were like, dude, get the football out of your hand or throw it away. Because mm. they were so concerned about what that season was, was going to turn into after him. And I think you got a small window into what the depth at the Ohio State quarterback position has looked like um, with Kyle McCord transferring and then what their bowl game looked like this year. They haven't felt good about the depth at the quarterback situation in a long time, and that probably speaks for a lot of teams in college football. But that's probably more where the Ohio State like concern when people say that came from was just you know how dominant their offense and how talented their wide receiver had been, and you'd seen other quarterbacks kind of put up similar stats. I don't know that you missed anything. I think the difference was like you were taking over a Texans team that largely struggled and, and you didn't know, you know, how a first time head coach defensive minded in nature, uh, a play caller Bobby Slocan and what that would look like too, for the Houston Texans, you know, with him calling plays on, on this sort of platform for them. And then a, a young group of wide receivers. I mean, we weren't talking about Nico Collins before this year, the way we are now. You know, and he didn't look the same before he did this season. Tank Dell is a rookie. Everyone said he was undersized. He was too small, whatever it was. Mm. And C.J. Stroud's been able to elevate the level of play of all those guys because of his ability to stay poised in the pocket, buy time to throw downfield, and just take shot after shot. But, again, I also want to give – you said Tunsil, the entire offensive line played. They ran mm-hmm. the football well. I thought Sloak did a great job targeting Emerson in coverage, Ronnie Hickman in coverage. You saw that in the Schultz play. But a number of times, even a couple of missed downfield throws, which are uncharacteristic for Stroud, you know, those were plays where they had it schemed up. They got the safety and one-on-one coverage with, with one of their wide receivers and, and they were open, you know, just, you know, that throw again, uncharacteristically didn't make it, but I think that's what it is, is, you know, this has been such an outlier year for a rookie quarterback. I mean, this is legitimately the greatest rookie season. I think we've ever seen for a rookie quarterback. That's not hyperbole. Like, like you could go back to Dan Marino if you want. Mm-hmm. Like this, this is this is a situation of a player who is playing his best football in the NFL, right? I think we always want to see like this great play in college, and then that translate to the NFL. You saw it from Trevor Lawrence. You saw that from Bryce Young and some others. There's times when you transition, and the player is actually plays better in the NFL. That's what you're seeing from C.J. Stroud. He has been able to transition that the Ohio State Georgia game in the semifinals into playing at that level now moving forward. It's just been incredible to watch. Yeah. Um, I, could, I just couldn't imagine being a Browns fan watching that game. Like, wait, this is the team we traded with this. They, so they have all our picks and one of the, you know, our pick got better because they beat us in this game and we got to come back next year with Watson and, and they just got that. When, when can we ever win one karmaically? When, when, when is it our time, Lord, is what I'm thinking if I'm a Browns fan. The team, and it's like the team that fleeced you is the only one that hasn't made it to a, 
a conference finals game, uh, a non-Super Bowl winner. The Texans now are fleecing you. Oh, yeah, last one. Uh, are we back in on the Chiefs after watching them dismantle the Dolphins, or is this just, hey, the Dolphins stink, two in cold weather. This was so predictable. But, like, yeah, Rishi Rice, eight catches. Travis Kelsey, seven, seven catches. I know it wasn't just, like, I think Mahomes still had a pretty low QBR in this game, cold weather, whatever. But I, I got to admit, I was I was buying a little bit more on the the Chiefs' mystique and just getting hot at the right time or knowing when to elevate your game. Now I'm afraid of the Chiefs again. I feel like they're back. We we we, we talk too much in regards to the Chiefs about their offense. Like we just do. Yeah. It's their defense that's ultimately going to win them a Super Bowl this year. Like that group is playing extremely well. They have all year. They haven't given up more than 27 points per game. If they can find a way of supplementing their offense with the run game and, and Pacheco. You know, you kind of looked at that game, and obviously the conditions played a factor. The conditions are still going to play a factor moving forward unless Pittsburgh pulls off a miracle today. But that's that's where we're at. And we're to a point where, you know, I, I think Patrick Mahomes is going to have to make some plays from time to time, but it's going to be defensive-led. It's going to be a, a running, you know, a rushing attack that's supplemented by the passing game and not what we've seen in the past, you know, where, where this team can go down the field with anyone up and down constantly. That's just that's not what they have been this year. That's not their identity. So it's kind of, I'm kind of speaking on both sides of my mouth because I do think it's partially a byproduct of a beat-up Dolphins team that just wasn't going to have much of a shot plan in those conditions to win. But you're also talking about, I think, a Chiefs team that's just different than what we've seen in the past. And they're, they're probably going to have to do it different going on the road next week to figure out how to beat Buffalo, at least based on what the line looks like and what I think we're all anticipating uh, moving forward. So, um, it, look, it, I still don't count them out because Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes – but it's it's not the same version of what we've seen. It's going to be fascinating to see how that stacks up, not going the typical route of an AFC championship game, playing at home to get to another Super Bowl. Yeah, I can't I I, I can't wait to see tonight's game. I'm I'm a little nervous though if I'm a Bills fan with the weather. Like, have you seen the shots of what it looks like down there? I, I love how they delayed the game by a day, and people are like, "Ooh, thank goodness," because the weather's going to be so. It's the the field looks unplayable. And it's like that plays to the Steelers who are a better rush. Like that's what they do. They, they run the ball. Well, the bills haven't been as good defending the run as they have been in the past this year. I, I, yeah. I like the bills to win I, this game, but I think the 10 and a half or whatever might end up being a little high. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, look, the wind is the biggest thing I'm concerned by. And yeah. they'll get the field in the right condition to be able to play it once it's ready. I'm not concerned about that. It's the wind. If the wind becomes a huge factor, that's going to end up playing, you know, factor in the kicking game, the passing game, especially the downfield throws, it just puts more pressure on the style of game that I don't know that the Bills want to play, but they really have to grind it out and stop the run and run the football consistently and then sprinkle things in. Mm. Um, and also, I just I, I say this every time, I get concerned for Josh Allen, you know, having to play Superman football where he's out there running around to lead this team rushing. So all those things become a concern, although this Pittsburgh Steelers team has not been the same when T.J. Watt's not out there no. defensively. So. No. You know, we'll see what Marcus Golden can do in his place. And, and the Highsmith has been great, too. He's continued to develop. But um, I, I don't know. If we're talking about Josh Allen versus Mason Rudolph, and you yeah. got to see Mason Rudolph make a play on the road in these conditions, my money's on Josh Allen. So, I, but, but, but the line is rather large depending on what the wind and what the conditions look like at, at game time. Mm. Hey, man. Uh, I look forward to next week when we chat about uh, the – the Cowboys having hired Bill Belichick. <laughs> it's going to happen. I think it's going to happen. I think it's going to go down. Brady Quinn. Uh, look, I'll be as fascinated as anyone else to oh, see God, how that's yeah. going to work. And, and if Jerry Jones can actually uh, have a muzzle and then I not mm. have to talk uh, about his head coach every single week and create the drama and everything else that Bill Belichick hasn't had to deal with in the past 24 seasons. He loves stars.
Jerry loves stars. And he wouldn't he love to slap a star on Bill Belichick? Oof. God, it would feel so good. Uh, Brady Quinn, our Monday morning insider, of course, former NFL QB. Thanks for making time, buddy. Yeah, enjoy the games. See you, pal. Yeah, I, I hated not having three games yesterday, by the way. Yeah, it was weird. It, it just, Especially just yeah. like the delayed start. Like, you know what I mean? Early afternoon hit, and I was like, I'm, I know. I know. 4.30 to be starting the wildcard weekend of football was wrong. I, I, you guys want to do weather takes? Sure. Yeah. Where, where's, where's everybody? Where are you on weather takes then? Uh, play, playing it. Whatever. Agree, agree, I don't care what it agree. is. I've seen I, so many clips of the NFL films of like the ice bowl with like, come yeah. on, let's just play in the, let's play in the freezing, freezing. Let's go. The, the Tom one, Coughlin's cold face, you know, give it, give it to me. The thing that I, do agree with is asking Bills fans to get down there in those conditions. People have to drive and sure. get to the game. So I understand. I hate when people get on social media and do the soapbox thing with it though, where they're like, it's about the, t-. yeah, we, we get it. It's not about the cold weather thing, but I do think it's a little funny and Bills fans will hate this because it's just a light teasing of them. And, <laughs> but I love that they were like, we drafted Josh Allen because he can survive all elements yeah. and then the elements get bad and it's, boy, you know, Brady's nervous about Josh Allen, the wind, and hey, we got to change the time of the game. We can't have them be playing in this cold weather. I am I think all of us in theory want the cold weather, snowball, windy football game. And then when we watch it, yeah, it's like, a different story. Well, and the thing is, we is build like, up if, the mystique of it. If my team was involved, I would probably have a different feeling. You know what I mean? Yeah. But like I, as someone who has no rooting interest in this game, like I'm down for just a really weird game. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I feel for the Bills though, where you, it's it's so funny that they have this team where it's just you. You really believe, hey, they want to have up and down passing, and that they want to have a pass rush, and they built it for this. They built it for that stadium and it doesn't make sense with who they are. Their quarterback is tough as nails. And I really do believe that he fits any weather because he can run the ball. He'll be able to throw it better than just about anybody in these conditions. I trust him despite the turnover stuff that I I do trust him in a game like this, that you'll see more of a a good representation of what Josh Allen is kind of like in the cold weather game with the chiefs of, was it uh, their best game? Did they have some drop passes because the conditions for sure. But Mahomes just looked like Mahomes. Yeah, yeah. And Tua did not look like the warm weather first half of the season, Tua, where no. people were going, is that the, is MVP? That the MVP? Yeah. Is he the MVP? Is wow. Tua the MVP of the league? Sounds crazy. Yeah. I, I'm i a little, I'm a touch nervous for Bills fans tonight because I think in a dome, in a nice weather game, no TJ Watt with the Steelers, this is uh, absolute beat down. I don't think that these two teams are close. Uh, I think, yeah, the record with TJ Watt speaks for itself is when he plays in football games, they, they win. And when he doesn't, they lose convincingly every <laughs> single time that that's their best thing about their football team is their pass rush. Uh, he's their best defensive player. He grades out the best on pro football focus. He grades out the best with the eye test. However you want to do it. It's TJ Watt for God's sakes. Um, but the, the weather and the way Najee Harris has been running the ball, that Steelers just all of a sudden it's like Steelers smash mouth versus a Bills team that feels a little bit more uh, finesse. Ugh. 
I, I think the Bills will win, but yeah, I, I don't like that it will be uh, squeaky for them. I don't I don't like that their fans are going to have to sit through this one nervously because the Steelers don't belong. They, they don't belong. They shouldn't be here. I don't even care if the Steelers win this game and their fans say, oh, you said that they, they don't. They don't. They had a negative point differential this year. They're unquestionably the worst team. It took a, a choke of seismic proportions <laughs> by the Jacksonville Jaguars. And granted, it is the Jaguars for you to be here. But man, come on, Bills. Just get the... For the good of football, I said, hey, what did I say about the, the Cowboys losing? That it was good for the football, yeah. it was good for the economy, right? It would also be really good for the economy if the Bills could win and we get another Josh Allen Mahomes game over this crap Steelers team finding another way to gross their way into a, another game. I think the Bills are going to smash. Yes. Oh, I think smash? The smash yeah. In this? Oh, the I weather. I just think it's going to be hard to eviscerate in this weather. Um, So many people on on X or we're saying like, we're doing the whole like, Oh, everybody should have a dome. Like, what do you no, think? I hate that. Yeah, no, I that's agree. Stupid. That's yeah. terrible. No, but I will say for Buffalo, if you're starting to, if you're constantly ruining the playoffs, because they keep having to move the games. And then if they're super ugly, I don't know. So I want That's the thing though, is Don't move the games. Just make them play. Yeah. Make them play. Well, again, Football you can't, you can't get the fans down to the stadium. It's a big deal. Yeah, anyway, I guess we got to take like a break. Travel we got to take a break. Uh, when we come back. God. Who has the biggest questions after the weekend? Quick one. Next. This is always a bit of a tough day to cover the NFL because you end up going weirdly. You want to give credit to the teams that won, right? I want to make this about the Lions, but what are you supposed to say other than, hey, the Lions played a good football game and their offensive line was solid. Great play by Amon St. Brown at the end. Jared Goff. It's harder to talk about the, the narratives of what that means, right? Until later in the week, because you know they're going to get their shine throughout it. But if you're a fan of the winning teams, you want to hear, praise my team right away. Fair. But I do think that this day is usually more about the losers. Hey, what, what happens with the losers? How bad did the losers lose? What, is it, what does it reveal about them? And clearly the Cowboys are the number one loser, right? They're the number one loser with a bullet, no question. There's, hey, what happens with their defense, their culture, their coach, their owner, their quarterback, everything. Everything about the Cowboys has come under scrutiny, as it does. That's the, that's the burden you bear with America's team. It, it just is. But the other teams, um, I think that there's some, some, some real, real big ones. And, like, the Rams, for example, they were awesome this year. Like, they really turn around. They weren't expecting much. And you go, oh, they were way ahead of schedule. But their quarterback is their best player on the team, and he's aging. I still think that they're not one of the teams. But there's, there's two in particular that I w- I'm going to debate quickly before Brian Scalabrini. Next. Okay, so like I said, today is about the losers. This is how I would rank the losers. Number one, Dallas Cowboys, clearly, with a bullet. Embarrassing, an all-time embarrassing loss for the Dallas Cowboys. Number two, the Cleveland Browns. Mm. Sorry, but as great as C.J. Stroud is, he is still a rookie. And your defense was hyped up all year. And we all hyped up your defense. And I have yet to see an explanation from someone as to why the splits are the way that they are. And you're going back to Deshaun. Man, just to lose to a team that you made a trade with mm. where they were supposed to be rebuilding, taking forever, and you were getting a generational quarterback who they gave a guaranteed contract to. <laughs> that's, that, that's their leaf parallel is that they tied into a star. They gave him everything. They went, <laughs> you could have everything. And he's like, well, have I proven I can win? They're like, no. No, of course not. No, 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 no. Don't Absolutely worry about not. it. Um, 
Yeah, you'll notice that there's the the thing with the Leafs is that there's common themes with them and other <laughs> losing franchises. Uh, is why I lose his life. The Leafs exist. The Browns are number two. I, I'm sorry, Browns fans. I I feel the pain of this weekend. This is the reason why it's almost that they're they're not as bad as the Cowboys because the Cowboys got just so so thoroughly embarrassed. But at least with the Cowboys, you can do the whole. Well, you're bringing in a new coach, and at least you're kind of on the last. You're the last hurrah for Dak is next year. There's reasons to be optimistic about the talent with the roster, all this different stuff. For the Browns, I go, okay, so you're bringing Chubb back. That's number one. Great. Mm -hmm. Chubb, awesome, because Jerome Ford, no good. No bueno. Jerome Ford is not Nick Chubb. But outside of that, it just feels like you're bringing everybody back because you have to. You have to bring Stefanski back. He's maybe the coach of the year. But now you're not going to get the Flacco bump. You have to hope yet again that the quarterback that keeps not playing football games is going to play football games and look awesome for you. I... (sighs) I'm worried about Cleveland. I'm worried about Cleveland and how they're going to be able to, to find that next step. If, if they're not able to find it there, but number three is the dolphins. Same thing. What are you supposed to do with the dolphins? I feel like your coach has been exposed. Now the, the Mike McDaniel, I'm cool and hip and Oh, I, this is how I speak differently. It's, it's worn off on me. You have to win. Otherwise yeah. it just comes off as corny. Uh, the, the clip of him going, you know why I'm a man. I keep thinking about that. Cause I know <laughs> when I call bad plays, I'm like, yeah, all the time, <laughs> all the time, Mike. And the Tua thing is pretty clear to me now. Awesome. Under the best of conditions. If his running game is going well, if he's able to get the ball out quickly, cause his receivers are creating separation. Two of his, um, his, if his receivers are healthy, his amazing receivers, then he can get it done. If you're behind in a football game, he might throw your season away. going to chase Claypool. He's probably not going to be able to go to the cold weather and make up, make something happen for you. I just don't have the, Oh, two is going to make something happen in me. Yeah. I feel like things have to happen and then he can execute if they're happening but that he's not an elevator over the top. Seems like a great guy though. And yeah, their defense got beat up and they lost a bunch of players and personnel. So that's a tough, but I still, I'm, I'm staying with this take. I feel like those guys could benefit more than anyone from taking Penix. I know his draft stock fell and maybe he ends up going higher. Maybe he ends up being a day two, but that's the guy for me is you're replacing him right away with a lefty. You've already had a lefty. You've built your team this way, but go get an elevator, go get someone that's different. And then lastly, I already went over the Rams. It's like you feel good because they found so much. Nakua is incredible. It's amazing that Nakua just immediately jumped Cooper Cup. Yeah. Cooper Cup had nine targets in that game. Barely did anything with him. Puka Nakua had 10 targets in that game. And he's open all the time and broke a million tackles. And was, yeah. It's incredible that he's come that far. So, yeah, those, that's the way I see it for the losers. But, yeah, three of you guys really, really in tough. And if you're a Rams fan, you're just hoping that Stafford can maintain his level of play. Um what I'm hoping for tonight is not, let's be real here, not hoping for a Raptors win, but I'm hoping for it to be competitive. And I'm hoping that if there's carryover, it's from the little bit of bad blood that has happened between these two teams. Doesn't matter who the coaches are. Doesn't matter who the players are. And it seems to happen. Brian Scalabrini, the white mamba, former NBA forward and current Celtics analyst for NBC and host on SiriusXM NBA. What's up, brother? How are we doing? Great to have you back. I'm doing well. Is there beef between these two teams that I'm unaware of? Well, you don't remember from early in the season? Missoula made that challenge late in the game. It was a blowout. And he challenged a play. And the Raptors went, what are you doing? This game is over. It's it's a beatdown. And you're challenging some ticky-tack play late in the fourth quarter? The Raptors didn't take it too well. 
Their coach, Darko, was furious about it. Dennis Schroeder came out pretty publicly against it. Missoula had to defend himself. There is the chippiness. That's, there's, there's beef, buddy. It hurts. This Boy. is the thing. This is the thing, dude. I hate to say it. I hate to say it so much to you. But we are, we're in the elevator with you, and the Celtics are Don Draper, and we're constantly talking about Celtics, and the Celtics look at the Raptors like, we don't think about you at all. Like, we think there's a rivalry. <laughs> Sucks. I hate it. Uh, yeah, we have a lot of those. So I know. That's, rivals yeah. with us. I know. We're just we're another rivals one. rivals with the Heat. I know. That's it. We're, you guys are Derek <laughs> Jeter, and we're leaving with the basket. Like, that was special, right, Derek? And he's like, yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought that was a lot of misdirection, like, there's a lot of this going around the NBA mm. where a team gets beat down and they focus on something like some unsportsmanlike conduct mm. because they don't have to talk about the beatdown. So yeah. to me, that was total misdirection of the Raptors saying, yeah, yeah, we're really mad at Joe and it, that's unfair. Well, what about getting smoked? <laughs> you guys mm. want to talk about that? <laughs> The thing is, we've talked about that a lot here. <laughs> like we talked, we've been doing a, we did a year and a half of that before the the trade was. Why why do the Raptors suck? Why are they not getting any better? Why is it that uh, they keep running this back and trying to expect different results? But they they finally did it right. They they made this trade where they bring in quickly, who's been a revelation for them. They bring R.J. Barrett home. They lose O.G., who's one of the best defensive players in the NBA, but. It was just, it was very clear it was time for the Raptors to make a trade. I'm curious, what, what did you think in the moment? Well, I like quickly a lot. Yeah. I think he could be a lead guard on your team. Um, if they believe that, then, then there you go. I, I would always say, like, this has been done in the past where you take a backup and you make him a lead guard, and sometimes the guy thrives and he's amazing. Sometimes the guy struggles, you know, doing it every night in, night out, or, you know, being the focus of the scouting report. But, mm-hmm. you know, as far as what I've seen him quickly, I've seen him quickly drop. Maybe he had like 37 on the Celtics one night when he got opportunity to play. So I think he's a real deal. So I like that trade. The only thing I don't know is direction, right? And I didn't know that last year when they got Yaka Pertle. I love Yaka Pertle. I was like telling the Celtics, you got to go get this guy. And at the last minute, Raptors swoop in. And I, I understand if you're trying to win, Yaka Pertle is a winning player. But I don't know what they're trying to do. They clearly have the guy, in my my opinion, the guy being Scotty Barnes. Mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not, I don't agree with Darko, like face of the league. But he's got a chance to be a an All NBA first team player. He's that good. So I um, I like the direction that he's trending. Um, as far as like your team and where you're going and stuff like that, are they going to pay Siakam? And if they're not going to pay Siakam, no. then maybe they should probably move off of him and try to get some assets for him. And you know, g- going down that that the asset game to the draft game to the free agent game, they're not in the bad position because fans are amazing up there. Every day, I don't, you know, like Toronto has great support, great fans, great, all that stuff. So I would, I, I would assume that they would continue to go like kind of down that road. If uh, of, of, of quick turnaround, not, like Oklahoma City or Philadelphia in the past where they tanked for five or six years. No, well, the thing about Toronto is there's no appetite for that. and It's not Masai Ujiri's way, but also it's just they feel like staying competitive is the better way to build, and I think that's going to be the way with Scotty Barnes. Is They're, they're going to be too good to be a tanking team, and up here, I don't know, it just it, it doesn't seem to... It, it doesn't seem to be even a possibility of the way they're going to do moving well, forward. It's like a, it's like can a I just, can on the fly. Can I just clarify yeah, yeah. that a little bit? So you you take your parts, right? Mm-hmm. And you and you you say like Siakam, Pirtle, whoever. You get as many assets as you can, and mm-hmm. then you trade for a star player. Because yeah. I I believe like 
Like, if you're Oklahoma City and you got 17 first-round draft picks and you trade for a star player, there's no guarantees that star player is going to sign back. 100%. Uh, I know I understand the Clyde Leonard situation. I'm sure you guys are scarred from that, but he's like a different dude. Mm-hmm. Most guys in the NBA, when they go to Toronto, I think nowadays, and they uh, and they get traded there and they have a chance to make a lot of money, I do believe that they would re-sign there. So I don't say tank. I say like some off, you know, kind of sell off your, your assets for like picks and stuff like that and go out there and, and, and look for a guy that you feel like um, you could build. Like not, you don't have to build around him. If quickly and Barnes are the guy, you could trade for another third piece. And that's maybe better than what you currently have. Yeah. I think that's, what's really interesting about where they're at right now is um, it's, it's not about winning. I think a little bit of bloom is going to come off the rose on this trade. If they, they continue to lose, right. They've lost three straight and they had a valiant effort against the Clippers. Right. And they got job by the officials, uh, that's what led to that rant. And then everybody else focused on the face of the league thing. It was like, how about we focus on the free throw discrepancy and that LeBron cries about the refs every single night. And then it goes his way. And he's like, the refs are amazing. <laughs> they were so good. <laughs> Guys, have you seen the refs? LeBron is truly amazing for I know. sports radio. But just like, imagine it went the other way. Every day. <laughs> imagine that the free throws went the other way. And it, I think oh, yeah. he, his quote was, his quote was, I feel like they fouled and we didn't. And I feel yeah. if he would have lost, they would have, his quote probably would have been, so are you telling me that we fouled and they didn't? That would have been yeah. the LeBron yeah. quote. So yeah. incredible stuff from him. But yeah, if the Raptors lose the Celtics tonight, that's four straight losses. And then they've got the heat coming up. So it's, it's going to be tough to see them start to stack wins together. But man, I, if they can figure out the right trade for Siakam, that, that will be the big game changer now for the franchise moving forward because it's clear they have Barnes. We might have something here in quickly, right? There's, there's flashes of a guy that could be a guy. Like you said it, everybody seems to love him. He comes into your building and you go, damn, that guy seems like he should get more burn. That guy feels like he should get more of the ball. But they had Brunson. He was buried. He had to do it. The question is, all right, they, they're going to move off Siakam. That's, uh, everybody's saying it. Chris Haynes actually recently just said that it feels imminent to him. Um, there's been a couple of different suitors. Dallas feels like they're in the mix. The Golden State Warriors are looking to make a change. I'm going to ask you just from the NBA standpoint, who, who would you like to see Siakam go to? Like, what's the team right now out west? Because that's what it sort of feels like. It's yeah. Sacramento, Dallas, Golden State, yeah. western teams. Maybe Indiana here, but to me, I don't know. Uh, I, that, that feels a little too premature for them. Um, who's the team that you'd really like to see Siakam go to? I mean... The Indiana thing is only interesting because of Benedict Matherin. I don't know if they'll move off Benedict yeah. Matherin, but if he's a, he's a Canadian guy, and I think he's a stud, like an absolute yep. stud, right? And I think it's only a matter of time before he's the one that's figuring it out, right? Like we just talked about quickly. But outside of that, like I think Dallas um, would be the team that I could see Siakam going to because Siakam has a great mindset for the NBA from this standpoint, like, whether he is as good as those other guys or not, he believes that he is and he plays like he is and he believes that he should be successful like a Luka Doncic or a Kyrie Irving. So I think to, to be around those type of guys, you've got to have a mindset like that. So Dallas would be the one where I think that he can actually move the needle. Now, if, uh, if they have things that you guys are interested in or not, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I think from if you're asking from a league standpoint – um, I, I do think I, I, I'm like fine with Sacramento. Um, I kind of like Harrison Barnes on that team a little bit. Like he kind of stays out of the guy's way, but he has the ability to get 20. So I like, see would come in kind of upset the apple cart a little bit there. 
But I think Dallas needs a little upsetting of the apple cart, if you would say. So I think if any team out there, I would, if I was the Mavs, I'd be aggressively going after Siakam. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I, like, I like Siakam's fit with Dallas the most. I think it would be cool to watch him step in beside Luka, where he has a clear number one that's a closer in games, where it's, he's there with Kyrie and another guy who's a closer late in games, and that taking the pressure off Siakam, I think is brilliant for him. We would just be talking about, wow, he's a perfect fit. I, he just, he's a guy that will mesh with that team. Good, you know, good passer, good playmaker, smart player, good defensive player. The problem from Toronto's side is every rumor always involves Josh Green as the like main piece coming back to Toronto. And I think Josh Green is just fine, but he's not one of those guys like quickly, right? Or even Kaminga from, I'm not a Kaminga guy. I don't really see it. I don't really love that a guy that's on the Golden State Warriors that won a championship is already bitching about minutes when he's 21 years old and he shoots like 30% from three. Uh, but at least there you can see the upside, right? You can see how you could hit a home run with a player like that. The Dallas yeah. trade package, there, it, there just doesn't seem like a home run that would, could come back to Toronto. You you asked me from the NBA standpoint oh, yeah. the other way, but I, I 100%. Yeah. If you're asking me from Toronto standpoint, Jonathan Kaminga is the guy. So yeah. I don't, I, of, all the, of all the pieces out there, if I can get my hands on Kaminga, I'm doing that. You like Kaminga? And, uh, Oh, 21 years old. Mm. Like, even if he's your third or fourth best player, you're like, you're good. You, mm. you know, like, like him complaining about minutes to Steve Kerr is like him listening to his friends while they play video games and him going to the media <laughs> yeah. and saying it afterwards. You know, any 21 year olds? Yeah. Like, you're different. Yeah, they're man. brutal. <laughs> so, so it's like I'm not taking any stock into right. a 21 year old complaining about. It. It's just like you're just misinformed about life, man. Yeah. So, but as a player, he, he's a I mean, he's a real athlete. He's um, he's improved every year. You have to admit that. Like, go back, go back two years ago, go back last year, and then look this year. Like, the guy is improving. So, if Toronto is everything they're cracked up to be, which you should you should believe in your organization, then I would definitely go after Kaminga and say, you know, the Warriors thing. Let me just explain. Like, I'll, I'll be real candid here. Like, not every player in growing up is is accustomed to playing the style that the Warriors play. Like, I would have done fine there. Like, I like to move around and pass the ball and cut and do all these things that, like, no one ever in my life told me, here's the ball, go play. But 99% of star players that make it to the NBA, they get the ball put in their hands, and they say, go to work, right? So, Jonathan Kaminga, even when he wasn't good enough and the G League Ignite, they were giving him the ball and saying, go to work. He's never a give him the ball and go to work type of guy. But but with the Warriors, he's never going to be that, right? So mm-hmm. for his, his so you guys play a little bit of that. You let Siakam kind of bump at the top of the key. You let Scotty Barnes do his thing. Like who knows if Jonathan Kaminga has like an it factor. He clearly has the it factor when it comes to athletically. Like I demands an F one race car. Mm-hmm. So I trust the coach, trust the organization. You brought in the coach to develop guys. That's his – I know he's a good basketball coach. I, I think he does a good job. But he's, his, he made his bones in the NBA by working with players and getting the most out of them. So, so why not go out there and, and get the F1 race car and see what you could do with it? So I would 100% if I was Toronto be looking at and – and because they have a lot of money – why not take on a Wiggins contract? Like, they'll be fine with that if they can figure out, you know, like the math of all that. And, and, mm. and you know, it doesn't, it doesn't 
hinder them with a second apron. I'm, I'm going after uh, Jonathan Kaminga in that trade. Yeah, I, I think that might end up being the highest ceiling deal for Toronto. Especially, I just, I don't see Sacramento um, parting with Keegan Murray. And so, if it's... If no it's, way. No, yeah, that's, that's, no that's way. what I mean. That's, no that way. They want him, and I keep going like, yeah, I don't... Uh, that's nice that you want him. No, that, I, yeah, whoever's writing that is like doing yeah. PR work for the Raptors. Yeah. Like, it's like, there's <laughs> no way you're trading yeah. him. Uh, yeah, it would be tough for Kings fans if they make that trade, and all of a sudden, five years later, you're like, wait, we traded Tyrese Halliburton and uh, Keegan Murray? It was bad. Uh, uh, and, and where did we get? The second round? Oh, yeah. No, thanks. Uh, uh, what? So let's switch this interview. Where's your yeah. background information? How do you know so much? You're, you're, when I talk to Canadians, it's like sometimes I'm like, mm, I don't know, man. But you really know this game, huh? Well, what do you mean? Background information in terms of my my sport with that? Like me knowing basketball? Yeah, how do you know from, so much? Well, both my parents so were basketball, basketball coaches. So that was where the start. That's where the uh, love started. Yeah. But yeah, yeah we have yeah. it in Canada. We, we've, we've been having it. We, you know, we had a guy who, you know, invented it. No big deal. That's <laughs> yeah, our game. All right. You might have been. Yeah, if, you're, if you're going back a hundred yeah. years. Then I, <laughs> no, no. I get, is, yeah. I get the, I get the change that's happened in Canada. Yeah. I, I, I played with Vince Carter. I understand all that, mm-hmm. but. But typically, like, the depths of what you know, like, I even, we're here in Boston, mm-hmm. and the radio people here would not know the depths of what you know. So, Thank you. again, I would think, and, and the reason why is because they're going to put, now, I don't know the depths of what they know about the New England Patriots, but mm-hmm. I would think that the people on, on radio in Canada would be experts in hockey and, like, dabble in basketball you definitely don't dabble in basketball thanks brother and yeah i uh let's let's pivot this over now to the the celtic side of things because going into this year you guys make a bunch of trades you make a or you make a bunch of changes but there was this underlying missoula thing right and now i feel probably like you're ready for this because the last what 48 hours have all been hey the the old guy we just saw the, the dude that left, the guy that everybody really loved as a head coach, and now it's the guy that was all right with them but not really loved. What What is the Missoula narrative as of right now? Is there more trust? Do they feel like he gets a lot of credit for making all these pieces work, or it's just that there's so much talent that he's secondary? Yeah, what's the Missoula narrative in Boston right now? So I don't do a lot of the, like, other people's opinion when it comes to, like, when I'm living something, right? Like, I would respect your opinion on the Raptors, but I'm not going to, like, listen to a beat writer or anything like that. So one thing about the NBA, and and you know this, or or maybe people know this, narratives are sticky, and they they stick around for a while. So if Joe Mazzula is a three-point shooting coach his first year, and people will, like, gravitate towards that. Here's a good example. Tom Thibodeau, hard-nosed, defensive guy, runs his guys into the ground. Well, if you start, like, really unfolding it, their offense was top four in the NBA last year. They don't – They their, their defense was just okay. And he's a really good basketball coach outside of, uh, you know, what people think. But that narrative stuck because it stuck in Chicago, stuck in uh, Minnesota. So now you have Joe Mazzula, who – and I have conversations with him, and, and Joe's my boy, but, like, I live in the, in the neutral. Like, I only can say what I see. Mm-hmm. And, like, there are times last year where I was like, man, like, we're really doubling down on the three-point shot, but I, don't, I feel like our offensive balance is so much better. Now, is that personnel-driven because we have Porzingis now and he's, like, top five in the NBA in post-ups? Or, they, or because we hired Sam Cassell, and Sam Cassell is this great little guard that can post up back in the day, and he's now taking Jason Tatum under his wing, and he's – taught him a little bit of the post-up game or is it because we got drew holiday and drew holiday comes to our team 
And he in in uh, Milwaukee, he used to mm-hmm. work at Low Dunker. And for people that don't know that, Low Dunker is kind of like uh, underneath the basket, and it's about a 17 foot area underneath the basket. So Drew Holiday naturally gravitates towards the Low Dunker, and he's kind of like a interior point guard for us, right? So now all of a sudden our spacing becomes better, and we have better offensive balance because of that. Is it luck, or is that Joe Missoula deciding that and doing all that? To me. I think Joe's a fantastic basketball coach that adapted to all of his flaws from last year, which, by the way, if anybody got thrusted into the head coach of a championship-level team three days before training camp, they would yeah. struggle. And I think he fought like, a lot of that struggle trying to justify it. But he had a whole offseason to get his feet underneath him, and I think he's done a fantastic job, even including this. They would never admit their faults last year. So you'd ask them about the three-point shooting, they'd be defensive about it. You'd ask them about home court advantage, they'd be defensive about it. This year, we're undefeated at home. And you ask, like last year, I think we were a 500 team in the playoffs at home. And you ask them about it, and they're like, yeah, last year we struggled at home, and we wanted to make that a point of emphasis. And for you people that don't know about the NBA, NBA is all about points of emphasis. Whatever you decide to focus on, that's what you're going to have to do. And that's to be game to game, month to month, season to season. And I like that they're addressing their flaws from last year. Maybe a little bit too, too many three-point shooting, too much three-point shooting, and maybe not taking like into account like when we make a mistake, it's okay to own our mistakes and to bounce back the next day and to address those mistakes. Like if we get pounded on the glass, all right, today we're going we're gonna to pound the glass. We're going to make sure – we don't get beat in that area. So he's doing all those things that I think um, – I don't know if narratives are sticky from last year or people don't know, but Joe's doing a really great job this year of addressing all the things that I thought maybe were faults of our team last year. Yeah, again, hard to be critical when your team is 19-0 and at home. How – okay, yeah. so Belichick just – let's be honest. It wasn't mutual. He got fired. Belichick just got fired – the Patriots have to be just the, the talk of Boston, probably. But how how big is the 19-0, the home winning streak thing right now? Because I feel like it's it's entering now territory where people, everybody has to be paying attention to it. I'm sure every fan that's at the games is aware of it, right? Like now you're going and you're really praying that the streak continues. But yeah, how, how important is it to you? How important is it to Boston right now? So um, all year Patriots weren't good. Yeah. So we've been the feel-good team of the, of, yes. the, of the city, right? So as far as, like, it might not be driving our sports radio, it yeah. doesn't matter. Our ratings are through the roof. Yeah. Um, the uh, Every every ticket is sold out from here to return to the – Yes. Uh, it's like it's – so the, the feel-good Boston Celtics are a real deal. The, the interest in the Boston Celtics are a real deal. It's just not necessarily – you know how it is. Drama drives the news. And yes. so it's not that, but we don't, I do it. Doesn't, that doesn't affect us to be honest with you. Like, mm-hmm. like Boston Celtic fans want to go. It's cold as hell out here. As you guys get it too. It's, it's like freezing. you guys do. Yeah. It's like people want to feel good and go inside and like see their friends, <laughs> and, you <laughs> yeah. know, whatever. And, and, and so we have a little bit of that right now. It's like a real, we're a real good, feel good story. And everywhere I go, it's like my popularity uh, ebbs and flows with the team. People love yeah. me when we're good, and they're they're okay with me when we're average, right? No, come so on. Every everywhere I go, man, it's selfies everywhere. It's hanging yeah. out. It's appearances. It's this and that. So we're definitely the feel good story of, of of Boston right now. Yeah, I feel like uh, there's no way that your your ebbs and flows that it goes really low. I feel like there's a there's a floor. Never there. low. 
Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like I was going to say. I was, said average. Yeah, enemy. yeah. I, I was going to say. I, it would, I would say the, one of the weirdest things I would hear from a, a fan if I was, like, talking about someone. If I was, like, watching the Celtics game with another Raptors fan tonight and they were like, I hate Scalabrini. I'd be like, what? <laughs> it would yeah. be, I've, I've never really heard that one. You know what put you over, over? It wasn't just the NBA. It was when you killed those guys in the pickup runs you know it's true you know it's true that was like the best uh, pr anyone has ever done was all right you think you're good you think you can be at the end of the bench come and what there was one guy that i don't know was he a div two college basketball player no he played at syracuse oh, okay so he played syracuse yeah, and then another guy was a division one like he was a little yeah. bit on the younger side yeah yeah that, and you know it's funny smoked. i was it, doing i would I was doing a show, yeah. like like a, a call in, but I happened to be in studio. Yeah, and you know, like people tweet stuff and like what he been up to. And man, I tell you, I played more basketball after I retired than yeah. when I was playing. Because I was, <laughs> you know, if you're sitting on the bench in the NBA, well, yeah, I was gonna say now you're just you're, a, you're bunch, the man. You're, you're not getting that much bump, right? But now, so I'm like, I did this cool thing. It would have been an amazing television show, but I just did it without posting or anything. I went mm. to Philly, New York, Dallas, Miami, Chicago, L.A. And I'm from Seattle, and I went to go play pickup at some of the best pickup runs. You know, make a few phone calls, find out where people are bumping, and I would go, and I wanted to find out where the best pickup was, right? That sounds like a pretty cool, fun reality show. I hate that you it, didn't film this. You, if, this was, if this was five years later, every, it would have been filmed everywhere. It would have been awesome content. Yeah, yeah but I just went. Just wanted yeah. to see, you know, like, cause I, I think – where a person grows up in cheese. If you look at, I don't know what Toronto's like, but there's been so many NBA players from that area now. So, you know, I would have probably threw that on the list, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I was already traveling around with the Celtics doing TV, so it was easy for me to find, like, runs. And in the summertime, it was easy for me to find runs. So I did that. And I was doing a radio interview, and I said, I, and I also had, like, a little rec league I played, and I dropped 65 in my rec league game, mm -hmm. right? Just, like, light work for me. It was fun, yeah. whatever. And, um... <laughs> started tweeting i'll smoke you i'll smoke you i'll smoke you so a guy like you would say like well why don't we do this why don't we just do a little one-on-one -on -one thing and i was like i'll play anybody i don't care like whether i play these kids in the morning or these men in the morning or i go play pickup at night it ain't gonna change my life i'm hooping no matter what right yeah. so it was like not a thing for me at all i wasn't like nervous about it it was just like a, another day at the office for me so uh you know and i listen i would be 100 percent honest with anybody if if you guys experienced what I experienced and you had the 11 years of playing against the players that I played against, you guys would smoke me too. It's just, you know, I'm a product of my environment. And, you know, you playing against your buddies or whatever you end up playing in high school is not going to prepare you to go against me. It's just not how it works. Yeah, of course. No, I love that your take here is, hey, man, if you played in the NBA and you had 11 years in the league, you'd be good. I was like, yeah. Be, I, yeah I think, you would smoke me. Yeah, you would, so smoke you me. would be good if you are in the league for 11 years. <laughs> yeah, thanks. That was a real insightful. No, my favorite part about it, though, is, uh, the, again, it's that you're playing guys, Div 1, Syracuse, and their identity is their basketball players, and you snatch that from them in the moment, and you can see it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you can see it be this guy's whole life was telling people he's a baller, that he'd take anybody, that he probably even had times where he had a couple pops. He's with his buddies. He's like, I could have made the NBA. I just, there was a coach, yeah. you know, he didn't give me the minutes, and he didn't fa have faith in me. I had one bad game, and he put me at the other bench. It was politics, man. It was politics. And now it's just that the film is there, you know? It's like he played scout, yeah. and he cooked you, and he broke you, and now that's on the internet forever, and there's no more like you're never having that talk people now are going like did you play at syracuse and you go yeah yeah i played a little bit uh anyways let's talk about something else <laughs> because you know that that's the number one highlight that's on the internet if you google your name uh anyways uh yeah. scal <laughs> always fun getting to catch up with you man i really do appreciate the time and uh enjoy the game tonight 
Yeah, sounds good. Thank you so much. Take care, Paul. Uh, Brian Scalabrini, the White Mamba, former NBA forward, current Celtics analyst for NBC, and host on SiriusXM NBA. Um, I do have... Well, we're doing one more NBA thought later today, which is we're definitely talking about the, the booze. It's like, what booze were worse? The Warriors booze or the Krause booze? But first... The dynamic comedic duo, Bad Friends, with Andrew Santino and Bobby Lee head to OLG stage at Falls View Casino on April 6th, and we're going to wait tickets all week long. And this is an interruption in the sad read. I love these two guys. Bad Friends podcast, one of the funniest podcasts going. Uh, so awesome that they're coming here. I'll absolutely be trying to make this thing. Santino and Bobby Lee, just 10 out of 10 funny. Uh, to enter, uh, all you got to do is tune into episodes of this podcast, a far inferior podcast to theirs. Uh, listen for the code word, then text the code word to 59590. Today's code word is Santino, as in the comic Andrew Santino, S-A-N-T-I-N-O. Text that to 59590 right now for your chance to win. We'll be giving away another pair of tickets tomorrow, but if you don't want to... Try to win, or if you don't end up winning, they're on sale at Ticketmaster.ca, so I would highly recommend going over there because I, I guarantee this will end up selling out. Uh, all right, quick break. and Come back, hit what we missed. All right. Totally forgot what I was going to say of the end of the Scal interview. It's gone. <laughs> it's gone forever. I think it was something about the Raptors. Oh, this is compelling. People are like, are you searching for your thoughts? Okay, like, mm. while you no. re- recapture it, can I throw a weather stat since that's been a bit of a theme? Sure. Okay. In Toronto, by this time, according to senior climatologist David Phillips, mm. we should okay. have had... 190 to 200 hours of clear skies, which is, you know, mostly sun. Okay. 190 to 200 hours we should have had. Mm-hmm. We have only had 30 hours oh. since winter has started. Mm. So, yeah, get your vitamin D in. Gloomy. Don't like it. That made me depressed. Yeah. Thanks. But look at, I'm looking outside right now. Oh, it's sunny. sunny. Come on. Yeah, freezing cold. It's the perfect day to be out there. <laughs> Minus 20 or whatever. Anyway, uh, before we get into what we missed, I have more tickets to give away. More. Say, JD, how could you have more? You just gave us tickets. You're the nicest guy ever. It's all you. I did it. Thank you for the credit. Ahead of the 2024 Rogers NHL All Star game this year, we'll be giving away family four packs. If you've been listening to the show, you already know. You should have already been trying. If you feel like you haven't been hitting, just keep going. Just, just keep swimming. You'll, you'll get these tickets. Family four packs of tickets to the NHL fanfare coming to Toronto on February 1st through the 4th. So just listen to the daily code word on episodes of this podcast until January 26th, so you still got a, a ways to go here. Still got a bunch of chances to win this thing. Text the code word to 590 for your chance to win. Today's code word is Hyundai. So our next code word will be on tomorrow's episode, but tickets to the fanfare are also available for purchase uh, at nhl.com backslash fanfare while supplies last. All right, we what we miss? Let's start with that, that question. Um... There were a big weekend for booze. 
Mm-hmm. Big weekend for booze. Uh, Warriors booze. got booed at home. Yeah. Also, Jerry Krause's widow got booed. Well, Jerry Krause got booed at a Bulls <laughs> ceremony. Yeah, was it? Wow. It wasn't Jerry Krause's <laughs> widow. She was, she was there. Yeah, she was there when they announced him. She got put on the Jumbotron as they were booing, booing Jerry, Jerry Krause. Krause. Yeah, sorry. I, let's stress yeah, they again. Were like, they were Jerry booing Jerry Krause's widow. Is here. <laughs> they were booing Boo. I'm sorry. They were booing Jerry Krause. But which okay. boos were worse? Warriors getting booed at home or Jerry Krause Both getting booed? Both are unquestionably horrific. Okay, so you know me. I'm pro-boo. I do. I love booing. I believe in the booing. So you didn't have a problem with Jared Goff getting booed in Detroit because some people were up in arms about that. You mean Matthew Stafford. Stafford. Sorry, Stafford. Yeah, it's pretty weird if they booed their own quarterback (laughs) as they won their first playoff game in 30 years and... Yeah, they're they're, they're fired person. up. They were confused. They're like, "Boo! Okay. Why would you, Jared Goff?" <laughs> yeah, no, you were really dialed in for that game. Uh, yeah, so, no, I loved booing Matthew Stafford. I thought that was great. There were bars that weren't letting him, letting people in who wore Stafford Lions jerseys. They, I agreed with it. Boo Stafford. He's on the other team, and he's the other team's best player. And oof, they they won. Both these teams made a good trade. But the team that won the Super Bowl won the trade. I don't care. They did the graphic of all the uh-huh. different pieces the Lions got. I went, who cares? The The ring is the thing. They traded for Matthew Stafford to win a Super to Bowl. He a won Super them Bowl. a Super Bowl. And he's still playing at an elite level. I, I think the reason why I liked the Rams as a long shot Super Bowl vet was they. I think that he's the best quarterback in the NFC. Go go find me who's the better quarterback. Just tell me. Is, you think it's Jalen Hurts after all this? Come on, Eagles fans. Come on. <laughs> Eagles fans, stop it. Yeah, I, I like booing. I think if your team performs poorly and you're in the stadium and you want to let them know your displeasure, I think it's fine. Totally fine. Do I think that there's some bad booing, some good booings? Like, yeah, whatever. I just uh, teach their own, though. But these two booings were tough. If it's what I will say is if it's not for Jerry Krause's widow being in attendance, and having the visual of her there, like yeah. I knew, I didn't know, I didn't see the exact breakdown of how it went, but they're like Jerry Krause, and people booed, and then it was like, and here's his widow. It's, yeah. it's a reveal, like whoops. <laughs> and then if you're a fan, oh no, oh no. But here's what I will say: this ultimately, and Jerry Krause's widow doesn't care about this because she has to live that horrible experience, which is awful. I, f- I really do empathize with it's her. Horrible. Like, it's horrible. No, really, really is. it really, really is bad. But if you're a Chicago fan, this should be a moment for you to look back and go, hmm, all right. Was Jerry Krause uh, portrayed as a villain? Absolutely he was. Did he win many Executive of the Year awards? Absolutely he did. And here's my actual biggest issue with Michael Jordan and with Phil Jackson, who both went head-to-head with him and both were not always on the greatest terms with Jerry Krause and made so public in all of their dealings being public. What did Michael Jordan ever do as an executive? Mm. What did Phil Jackson ever do as an executive? Phil Jackson ran the Knicks into the ground. Michael Jordan never won a damn thing as an executive where he was with Charlotte. Had to sell them because it was such an embarrassment what he was as an executive of a basketball team. Jerry Krause, for all his flaws, of which there are, was he a perfect executive? Was he a perfect GM? No. But that's a hard-ass job. And yes, with Michael Jordan, uh, you, you have the best player in the universe, so you're never going to get any credit. He drafted Scottie Pippen, or sorry, he traded, traded for Scottie for it, Pippen yeah. in the draft. Wasn't exactly a slam dunk pick. Made sure that he got him. He made sure that they went out and got Dennis Rodman. He surrounded that team with some really good players. And I think the booing, as bad as that was, 
is going to end up being a good thing for his legacy because it does two things. It points, it puts a bullet through the mystique of, oh, Jordan is infallible and whatever Jordan says, hey, it's critical, but he's right. He's always right. Jordan's always right. No, he's probably not. Jordan is not always right, okay? And he's too harsh to this guy. He was too harsh to Jerry Krause. Ultimately, Jerry Krause paid Michael Jordan a ton of money and helped him win six championships. And Jordan has always done him dirty because he didn't like him. Jordan does everybody dirty. Mm. Jordan does everybody dirty. And MJ doesn't show up for the ceremony. Doesn't show up. Doesn't even have admitted him to, to go to Chicago. Says he wished he could be there. Rodman obviously did wish he could be there and couldn't. It was very clear in the video. Mm-hmm. Did Scotty even do a video? I didn't see it. I don't see it either. No. Like he didn't do a video. No. Yeah, Scotty's not even. The, the, the Bulls just did this so poorly. And it's actually a shame to see what they used to be and what they are now, where they're doing the video tribute to Jerry Krause and then flashing his wife right away. Like, what are you doing? Obviously, that was going to be the reception. Yeah, that's on Game Ops, putting up his photo. Yeah. I, <sighs> But I'm really surprised you went here, man. I'm happy. Why? You're criticizing Jordan. Why? This cri- is- I, buddy, this is the thing that you don't understand. I grew up hating Jordan. I hated Michael Jordan. Day one. All, we all, the only basketball games, before there was League Pass, there was WGR in Canada, forcing you to watch every Bulls home yeah. game. And what did I do as a kid growing up? Hating Jordan. I cheer for underdogs. I don't cheer for the front runners. I didn't jump on the Jordan bandwagon. Although I did kind of jump on some front runner teams in the past. Like, you know, the Magic, I was like, ooh, Shaq. And the Sonics were hot. But no, I, I, I've never been a cheer for the best team guy. I, I respect it's the, last, it's the last dance thing. If that it's not just the last dance thing before no, that's, last dance. No. I don't believe he's getting booed. I really that's, don't. I know that's you because you're Gen Z and you have no perspective of anything and that's fine, but that's your horrible opinion. They, <laughs> Chicago fans hated Jerry Krause well before the last dance. This is not a, it's not all just Gen Z's in the crowd there. It's not all yous. We saw the bulls. All right. I was young with the bulls. Jerry Krause was not liked. And the end of the, the bulls, it was very well documented with him. There's been a lot of bulls written about our books written about the bulls. Jerry Krause has been a controversial figure in that, in that town. Some people feel like had it not been Jerry Krause, they could have kept that thing rolling on back, and they, yeah. they could have kept running it back. Controversial figure. Yes. Do I think the last dance help or, or amplifies it, makes it bigger? Especially than, for a new generation, for but sure. No, I think that Jerry Krause is getting booed in Chicago like that, no matter what last dance thing happens. But yes, Jordan does have, and this is the problem of allowing guys to have control over their own documentaries, is that you end up getting a look at the last dance and it's just purely through the lens of Michael Jordan. It's like everybody else is kind of fault and I did the best and then that's it for me. Is he the one that deserves the most credit? Yes. Do I think he's the greatest basketball player of all time? Unquestionably. There's uh, there's genuinely nothing LeBron can do to to touch it. There's some questions. There's there's not. (laughs) I know. Again, you you weren't there. You don't know. Nobody, like, hey, all I got to say is until the day you die, kids are going to be wearing Jordans. I don't know one person that rocks a LeBron and says, look at my new LeBrons. Facts. He's the GOAT. He is the GOAT. Anyway, uh, I thought it was embarrassing. And then for the Warriors standpoint, like, Warriors fans, I know you're going through a tough time here, but it's still Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, Draymond Green, who've brought you modern-day dynasty. And for them to have a bad season as Klay Thompson ages out of it, and Steph Curry is surrounded by some young players that don't really make sense around their roster for you to boo. I think it's, 
you're you don't have the right. <laughs> it is like, weird for two fan bases you don't, you to don't seemingly have the right. just, just forget like yeah. the good times. Both the Bulls fans and the, the right. Warriors fans just seemingly yeah. forgot of when they were but, the best. <laughs> but again, you know, this is this is the thing. If Michael Jordan is there and Scott like if he's there and he's at it it feels like a joyous celebration and instead, there's like an underlying bitterness to the Bulls. Yeah, I guess. And if you're I mean, a Bulls fan, you're looking at like, oh, MJ's not here. Right. Maybe he would have been here if he felt better about the organization because it's Jerry Krause's fault. So let's boo Jerry Krause. Like, MJ owns a part in all of this, man. 100%. Like, if it's he's just not funny burying that, like, his teammates still to this day and his kid's not going out doing what he's doing, which is not good. It's not good. <laughs> then the Bulls are, should be to not have that team be something that you could celebrate. Well, like, so that's the weird thing is like the yeah. whole thing was at a ceremony to be like, Hey, remember yeah. this team yeah. and still imagine people, you try to bring yeah. back blue weird. Jays is back to back. And they were like, man, we can't have Joe Carter here. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Carter. He's obviously not coming. Right? Like, no, come on. Uh, this is ridiculous stuff. This is really ridiculous. I think both those fan bases should be ashamed of the actions. Michael Jordan definitely owns a lot of it. But no, stop with this LeBron thing, man. You're stop. Again, I know you were born yesterday, literally, but it's too much. It's too much sometimes. All right, what else? Uh, Kalen DeBoer, he is <sighs> no longer Washington's head football coach. He is uh, going on to Alabama, replacing Nick Saban. Uh, Jed Fish coming over to Washington from Arizona, I know, as a Huskies guy. We got some thoughts on this. What do we got? Oh, I've had some bad things happen to me as a sports fan. I've had Leaf... Playoff exit after exit, you know, the Carolina. We did this, Toronto, bad sports mm-hmm. memories, right? Vince Carter left. I uh, watched my favorite basketball team literally move to a dust bowl in the middle of the United States mm-hmm. and just perennially be good and have a ton of optimism around them nonstop. Like, I've never really had downtimes with OKC. Uh, I've had a lot of bad things happen. A lot, a lot, a lot of bad sports things happen. This is one of the lowest I've ever felt. This was low. For Kalen DeBoer, for that program to have... Like I said it on the show multiple times that this was one of the seasons in sports I enjoyed the most. Yep. I was ecstatic about the Huskies and I felt it all year long what they did, which was nobody believed in them and they kept exceeding expectations and it was something special has happened in the Pacific Northwest. And they ran into a Michigan wagon and Jim Harbaugh and a team that was full of guys that had run it back and come back to win a national championship and they lost. Their quarterback didn't play well and they, and they lost. They deserved to lose and congrats to Michigan. They were the best team in college football this year without a doubt. But the second best team in college football was the Washington Huskies and had they gotten the best performance of their quarterback, they could have won. Part of it is that their head coach was awesome all year long and he had created a culture there. They were already recruiting players for the next year. You felt like, hey, um, suck to lose the national championship, but man, you have Kalen DeBoer, so you can't really rule them out in terms of building something else there. People will see what he did with Penix. There's going to be guys that look at that and feel as though it's replicable. And then he leaves and goes to Alabama right away. And I know it's a business, it's whatever. But for him to be saying, you know, it's, it's go Huskies and nobody believes in the Huskies. And then literally 10 minutes later <laughs> saying roll tide and being welcomed by those fans. I thought it was gutless. I thought it was shameless. But it's, it, the problem is I can't even be too mad at it because it's Bama. Yeah. And you go, damn, it's Bama. Of course like, he's going like, to do. Yeah, he's got generational money to go do it. And he gets to coach the – the thing is, though, is uh, – yeah, I, I I never hated Alabama before. And now? And now I'm in. <laughs> yeah, join you like, join the rest I, of us. Yeah. I, I never I never really liked Nick Saban. I thought that he smelled his own farts a little bit too much. Sure. It was like mm, amazing. Oh de Saban. Saban. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm just I hate Alabama. I might yeah. even become a Georgia football fan and, and just 
learn the song, everything. Because I I hope Kalen DeBoer fails so spectacularly. You're cheering for Auburn oh, and the Iron Bowl. I hope, I, like, there's nothing I want more now than Bama fans to be like, we hate Kalen DeBoer. <laughs> we chased him out of town. And I go, yeah, hell yeah. Chase him back to high school football, for God's sakes. I thank him for nothing. It just sucks because it spoils the year. You know, the national championship would have been one thing, but I would have said, hey, man, beat Oregon twice. And I got that shirt. They won the last Pac-12. They beat Oregon. Oh, yeah. Can never have that, Oregon. You can never have that. Ever. That Washington won the last Pac-12 championship. Texas beat you two years in a row. There's a lot of Texas fans. Love that, right? Oh, whoa, Texas. I'm a Texas I, fan. So yeah, it's no, just loser. Became... <laughs> and... Actually, I kind of like Texas too, but that's yeah. Yeah, that was, I kind of root for Texas. I want them to, but football's better with when Texas is good. Uh, but yeah, we have that. And then he spoiled it anyways. I know you guys have a couple other things on the, uh, mm-hmm. what we missed, but JD, did you happen to tell Simon or are you comfortable saying on air what happened Friday after the show? Mm. Bit of an awkward I hate that moment. you reminded me of it. <laughs> I walked in on somebody using the bathroom. <laughs> Horrifying. They didn't lock the door. Yeah. And I walked in on him and That's tough. it was not good. No. And I, but I will say, I think it's worse for me than him. This, this is the only way that I can frame this question. Cause for him, it's like an embarrassing thing, but he still has the power of being like, if I run into him in the hallway, he can make the joke of like, man, sorry, I didn't lock the door. I'm an idiot. And I go, haha. And then it breaks attention. But I have nothing, right? Yeah. You like, can't say any, like you're not starting the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And he, yeah, he sees, he sees a guy and he's embarrassed that he didn't lock the door or whatever. But I had to see what I saw, which is way worse. <laughs> I guess he's lucky it wasn't a woman that walked in. It would have been even more awkward. Yeah, but it's, anyway, I just, I but didn't need that reminder. The- I actually, it took me all, my entire Friday. You know, we went to our buddy Alex Wong's uh, goodbye party. We had a few drinks. I got rid of it because the vibes were really high at that, at that going away party. It was fun celebrating Alex. Got back on the subway and then the thought of the no, bathroom No, I, I, I was gone and then it was wrapped up in football and work and all these things. And I, I actually thought that I was, just, and then Armin right away was like, you want to say what you did? No, but it was funny. <laughs> it was, it was funny because I came back into the studio and I, I walked up to Armin and I was like, I told him what happened. And he was like, I don't even want you near me. And I was like, I feel the same. I felt like a deep shame. I felt dirty. I felt it was not good. And I'm not talking about like, oh, I accidentally opened a stall door. I'm saying like, I opened up a one solo bathroom door and there was a person there and it's just, I... Yeah. Well, first of all, now I got to avoid, I, like I said, I can't use the, one of the doors cause I can't risk walking by this person ever again. <laughs> mm. I don't want to make eye contact. You're I gotta, changing your route along yep, the office. I got to hide. I got to hide yeah. like just a pure, uh, I'm, I'm on the run from the law. <laughs> <laughs> fugitive bunkers, fugitive. Is, yeah. I can never see this guy again. In the, but I, again, I think it's worse to be me and you can tell me if I'm wrong, but no, it's way, I think it's worse to be you, but also it's, it's his fault. It was worse to be him in the moment. It's worse to be me the second after the moment yeah. ends. Yeah. But you didn't do anything wrong. I know I didn't do it. Buddy, but it's the, way I'm, worse. Buddy, I know. I'm Matt Damon crying and you guys are yeah. Robin Williams yeah. going, it's, it's not, not your fault. fault. And, I, and I, I'm JD, weeping knowing it's not JD, my fault. It's not your fault. But I still carry this burden. I still carry the trauma. It's not your fault. It's, it, it's no matter how many times you say it, the trauma exists and it's there <laughs> forever. I'll never use that washroom again. Oh, yeah. No. 
Different floor. Yeah, because I can never go back. That's yeah. his that's his territory. He yeah. marked it. <laughs> literally. <laughs> it's funny too for people who don't know, it literally says vacant or occupied. Yeah, yeah, it's I one know, of those. No, like, so. no, there's okay, no Okay, so it's a little it's worse. Oh, no, 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 sorry. It's, no, I, no, I, no, I, yeah, no, you're right. It's yeah, extra. No, I wasn't picking I the know, lock I, outside. <laughs> I was like, who's in here? <laughs> no, it must be open. No, it says it's a green, it's a huge yeah, green yeah. light. Yeah. It gives you the it's it's green light. It was green light for me to go in there. Anyway, subscribe to this podcast, please, for me. For me today, I need this. It's I need this fault. today. So please go subscribe to the podcast. Leave five stars. Do those things. Share it. Follow on Twitter and Instagram at JD Punkus, and I'll see you tomorrow.